Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. Today is the 30th episode of my monthly feature, Our Voices, an inside look into a life journey that may be quite different than yours. We'll discuss ways to accelerate social change that level the playing field and help everyone live to their full potential. I encourage you to listen with curiosity and without judgment to this account of what it means to grow up, learn, struggle, work, and live in our world. My guest today fills any room with an awesome combination of vibrancy, groundedness, and make it happen. Born and raised in Mexico, she was keen to build bridges across cultures. At ETOM, the Instituto Tecnológico Autónomo de México, she earned her Bachelor's of Arts and Master's of Arts in International Relations then made her way to the U.S. for two additional MA degrees, one in international relations and international communications from Boston University, the other in political management from George Washington University. She honed her capability in complex communications in both public and private sectors, including serving as a senior communications advisor to the CEO of Mexican state-owned petroleum company Pemex and the Mexican Finance Ministry. In Washington, D.C., She worked for the Inter-American Development Bank. In 2015, she joined public relations firm Edelman and turned around its Mexico operation. Growing revenues 90% is unsurprising. She recently won the 2022 PR Week Global Award for Best PR Professional in all of LATAM. I am delighted. My friend and now CEO of Edelman Latin America, Mariana Sanz, is joining us. Mariana, welcome to Our Voices. Thank you, Molly. So happy to be here. Um, and talking about filling the room, I, I, I was so impressed to see you filling the room for two days. So very, very happy to, to be here with you, joining in this exciting space. Yes, you really, at least I just think of you and you bring the brightest smile to my face. And we do want to do a shout out to the International Women's Forum, which is how we cross paths Huge congratulations to you and all the fellows for being selected to be leadership fellows and participating in a very intensive and innovative leadership development program aimed at advancing women into senior most executive roles. Super exciting. Uh, Oh, it is. (laughs) uh, One of the many things that struck me about you is the ease with which you, shall we say, move through space. And it's reflected seems to me, and how you've managed to weave together your personal and professional worlds in a way that works for you. Not so easy. So much to talk about in terms of working across cultures, you know, family life, professional life. Before we get to that, Mariana, I appreciate you helping listeners get to know you. So uh, please share your journey in life so far. <laughs> how, how, how long do we have that <laughs> <laughs> It's very early in the morning to be talking about me, but I'll, I'll happily explain a little bit of who I am. So um, I'm Mariana. I'm a mom of two boys, Miguel and Daniel. They're 11 and 8. And a very happy wife of Miguel as well. 
And uh, I'll start talking about me in terms of my family. I think that um, that that's the center of, of it all. And the way I explain so many things that have happened to me. So um, my parents are um, the, the descendants of Spaniards that came to Mexico fleeing the Civil War. So um, that might make you, that give you the idea of ideas and values and convictions being very strong in my family in terms of liberty, of freedom, and uh, looking for a good life that you can make on your own. And that's what I saw in my family forever. Uh, a father that worked really hard and he became to be a very successful architect in Mexico. And uh, a mother who worked uh, and she held a very, um, a leadership position that was not uh, very common in, in, in that time. She was the principal at my school. So I, could al I, I always saw my mom having this very loving role at home and taking care of us very present, very into everything that happened to us, but also having a leadership role where I could see people loving her and following her. So it was this uh, double message that I had from my mom and that I learned from. And uh, as I said, like everything happened at home because we worked hard. That was the, the main message. Like the worst thing that my father could say about someone is that they were lazy for example it was like the worst insult that someone could get so that's the culture that I grew up in a culture of working hard for whatever is it that you wanted and then enjoying it a lot I think that uh, coming from a war also um, forms that like the ability to really enjoy uh, what we have and we were really conscious about how lucky we are and we came to be um, having everything that we had um, not only a, a very loving family and a very strong tie uh, that binds us but also we were we are very prosperous and we enjoy life and we travel a lot and we live well and that and I think that we've all come up to enjoy that and want more and to build more for, for us and for our children. I have very, I have two brothers that are um, exceptional. They're younger than me. I'm the, I'm the oldest at home. And being the oldest sometimes uh, means that I take care of them. But to be honest, now that we are a little bit older, they, care, they take care of me a lot. And uh, my sisters-in-laws and everyone is really really caring. So we have a very strong family there. And I think that that set the ground uh, for me to be who I am, to decide what I wanted. I remember when uh, in one of the trips that we had with my parents, we went to Boston. And when I saw that, like all the campuses and the, the life of the students, I wanted that. I felt that that was something that I wanted. And uh, on the same trip, we went to Washington and uh, I was appalled. I, th I think that I felt, you know, the power you, when you go to DC, you feel that power and I loved it. So 
I don't know. I, I don't know if that was the time when I decided that I wanted to, to study in the U.S. and build uh, a career. And, uh, and I did it. I, I think that I, I started building and putting the building blocks for that. I was always a good student. But I was a good student that was also, uh, I always remember myself taking care of others. I, if, if the, at that, those times, like young people won't understand that, but <laughs> when, like, for example, they asked for a homework and you had to go and buy five maps of, I don't know, Latin America. I always bought 10 because I knew that someone would forget them. There's right. So I, I was very caring and very good. I built very good friendships and, and solid uh, relationships. So that's, that's been me, like all of my life, uh, studying, working hard, but also at the same time, building strong relationships that are the, well, it's life. I think that working hard and doing something that you like is, is, is key but then building those friendships and relationships that make you you and make your life strong. It's what I've done. So I'm happy to say I'm 47 and I feel that I have a very happy life, a very full life, um, a life that it's uh, always surprising me. And uh, I, 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 I get bored fast. <laughs> I always say that, but my life is not boring at all. And, uh, and I'm, I'm happy, I'm happy to be able to say that and to feel that I've been uh, building a balanced um, life between my job, my career, and then having this, this happy family with my two kids and, uh, and the rest of the family. So that's a little bit of me. <laughs> Well, Mariana, you are living a dream that you've created, and I want to congratulate you on that because it's not easy to be here now, here now, right, and just to truly be present, and I think that that is something you just are. I'd like to go back to when, you know, your parents had, uh, family had this history, fleeing the war, coming to um, to Mexico, to the States. So I, just, you know, take folks back, you know, living how did they share what, what that was for them and as a young person so that you could really appreciate the family history? And do you recall, you know, them sharing that? Was that just something you kind of picked up from them? Well, I didn't know my, my grandfather. He died before um, I was born. I did, I did uh, spend many years with my, um, my grandparents from my father's side. And it was, uh, it was a, a funny contrast between both families. Uh, for example, from my mom's side, they, he understood that everything that he had came from Mexico. Like Mexico was the place that opened all the possibilities to build a new life. So he, he felt Mexican. He, he um, wouldn't go back uh, to Spain for many, many years, for example. He married a Mexican, by the way. My grandma was was Mexican. So it was a very um, Mexican family. We've, and on the other side, on my father's side, they kept um, missing Spain. So they did go back six months here, six months there. And so, so there was a contrast there. 
And uh, I, I didn't, I don't remember talking about the war with my grandparents and parents that never happened, but I did get some like learnings from that in my everyday life. Like you wouldn't, like if I didn't need something at the table, like we had to, and my mom always like reminded us like, no, we, we come from a war. We don't just like uh, throw away food here. You, you, you eat everything. So and uh, you work hard for things. So those were the kinds of messages that I, I was getting from my parents um, every day. So I think that that became a, a, a backbone of, of, of who I am in terms of uh, working hard and taking care of things and valuing what you have, it's not just taking like things for granted. And I think that, that that's important. When, when you define the way you are, um, taking care of that that you've worked for and valuing it uh it makes you enjoy things more i think so so that that was kind of the way that i um learned and history passed my mom is a historian by the way so she did tell us a lot of stories about our um my grandfather being in a concentration camp for example so those things, I think, that remain in, in, in your cells, if not in your conscious brain, I think that it remains in, in, in your unconscious um, every time. Yeah. Yeah. So in going to school in Mexico, now that your kids are in the state, very similar, compare and contrast. And, and I'm, I'm wondering when you learned your English. Well, I went to a bilingual school in Mexico. So I had a very good start there. And uh, then it was funny um, in, for some kids in Mexico and some families, it's usual to come to the States for a summer camp, right? To like go in a lake and run and bike and whatever. I didn't like doing that. I decided that I wanted to come to study. So I went to Canada for several uh, summers to study English. And um and then afterwards, I think when I when I started in the U.S., my two master's degrees, I think that it it, it came out like it, it improved to say so. Yeah. And, so and I decided to put my kids in a bilingual school as well. I think that able to think in two languages and not having to struggle and uh, it, it opened so many doors and uh, so many ways of looking at the world in a different way, like. Uh, when I see people looking at or watching movies, translated movies, it's like, oh, you're losing so much, right? So I, I, I'm happy um, um, to to be able and to have have had the opportunity to to learn two languages. And so this is so great. The just it just seemed like you were a cross border kid, you know. And is that something your parents? were explicit about see the world, get out there, go to camp. I mean, you know, parents having their kids go away for a summer camp that's close by is one thing, but to jettison your kids to different countries. Oh, yes. Right. So what was that like? Well, I think that that was very intentional from from my parents. They always wanted to open the world for us. And I think that that's uh, a key part of who I am now. Um, they We traveled a lot. Uh, they always like opened uh, possibilities to try new food, um, even um, um, in terms of religion, for example. They decided that they didn't want to baptize us. And uh, 
opened the possibility for us to choose a religion. So that was the way that they worked in many ways. They, I always say that they put like everything in the road so we could pick and choose mm-hmm. and be ourselves. And, and I think that that was a very smart and very uh, fearful way of, of raising us. And I, I, um, I, I hope that I am so good as they, do, they were with us, with my own kids. Well, you're lucky you have such an amazing <laughs> example, my friend. Do you recall any uh, periods of childhood that were tough? Did you always feel like you fit in? You just seemed like you could just slide in, Mariana, and fit in anywhere. Was that always the case? Well, uh, I think so. I've, my mom always tells me that I was so like uh, self-confident since I was very young that it's something that I do easily, Molia. It's, um, but I do feel that there's certain spaces that I don't feel comfortable with. And, and uh, this will sound weird, but it's not about the people. It's about the place. When I don't feel comfortable somewhere, it's about the vibe. I think I, I, I trust my stomach a lot and my, my radar a lot. And it's, it's usually when I don't feel comfortable, it's about the vibe that's happening there. I don't know why, but yes, I'm a very self-confident person. And I think that I always was. And again, I think that my parents giving us all these chances of learning and traveling and meeting new people also opened our eyes to, to being more like this, right. To, to being open to, um, read the space and read the room and uh, meet new people and don't be shy. So, yes, I, I think that I'm, I'm very natural in that. Well, that's a blessing. I think a lot of people are listening going, God, I wanted some of her. The, uh, when you come to school in America and, you know, in America, people aren't, you know, necessarily bilingual and not, uh, as exposed, perhaps, to different cultures. So I'm just wondering, when you first came into Boston University and then to GW, uh, were there things that were surprising about what you saw the American kids not knowing about being from a different place? I'm just wondering what your early experiences were. Um, well, I think that, that um, I went to study international relations. So my, my classrooms were always filled with people that were curious about the world. So that might not have been like the, the, like the very, like the, the common thing maybe with, with U.S. kids, but I never felt uh, like an outsider. Um, and, and, and going through your previous question, like having a hard time. Oh, when I got to, to my first semester in BU, I really had a hard time. We had to read a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I was not used to it. So being in Boston, like uh, winter starting and then having to like just wake up and read, 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 read. That was not like what I was expecting <laughs> from my experience. And uh, I really had a hard time in terms of, of studying and like getting the grades and everything in, in the first semester. And then, then I, I think that I learned and, um, and, and I had a better, better time. And it is eased up. But at the beginning, uh, even the way that uh, the classrooms were, were set were, was kind of 
different from my, my previous experience. In, in my Mexico university, we were usually like 30 people groups, not, not very large groups. And when I went to Boston University, we, I, I did get into very, very large um, classrooms with 100 students or so. So it was more impersonal. So that came out to be like a shock at the beginning. But then I learned that that's the way it is. And I adjusted. So how did you, uh, did you have mentors? How did you craft your career path? And, you know, because you've done a marvelous job just, just integrating, you know, your background into work that obviously is very meaningful you, for you. And, and I'm sure there's folks who are either went to going to school or parents of kids going to school. How did you figure out what you wanted to do? Well, I am lucky in, in that way as well. When I was in my university, I went into a class that had to do with media. I was studying international relations. And uh, when you study international relations, it's like mainly three things that you study. It's the individual, uh, the international organizations, and the countries. Like those are the three levels of uh, where things in international uh, arena come from. And I always wondered, like, no, CNN is really important, <laughs> like the media and the Washington Post and what's being said in TV really determines what happens at the international arena. So I, I started questioning, like, why don't we, when we study, take this into account? So I suddenly found a class dealing with media and I ran to, to have it. And uh, again, fate again, Rosana Fuentes Beraim was my, my teacher. And she had been my mom's student when she was young, right? So there was this history there. It was totally out of coincidence. And uh, I built a very strong relationship with Rosanna, and she became my mentor uh, to this time. Like today at my 47 years, I don't make a big decision if I don't talk to her. So um, she guided me. She... Um, helped me with deciding my thesis. In, in Mexico, we have to write like a, a white paper to say, a long white paper in order to get your degree. So she was my, my guide there. She was my, my mentor from that time on. And um, when I go back and study what has happened in my professional life, every single step somehow has to do with Rosanna with someone that Rosanna knew that she connected me with or something that she read and uh, we had to go and explore. So I, I was very lucky to have that, like my family and then my, my mentor with my professional life. And um, again, I'm still very close to her. So she guided me. And I think that Rosanna was very smart to help me find that thing that inspired me, that really um, ignited something inside and made me happy to study more or to work in. And that was communications. Rosanna is a, a journalist, <laughs> by the way. So I think that she brought me a little bit into her field. And, uh, and I was lucky enough to find that road. I studied international relationships relations, but then I, I specialize in communications. And that's uh, all that I've been doing for the rest of my, my professional career. So again, I was uh, lucky enough to find someone 
and being able to, to develop this trust relationship and to listen. I think that in order to be a good communicator, uh, you have to be a good listener first. And I've been that uh, to Rosanna. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I have to meet her. What a superstar. I love it. I love it. So talk, just, just take us through your early career. Any, I mean, did it just flow? I'm, you, you must have messed up somehow. You know, I just love to hear oh, yes. a little bit of the bumps and the twists <laughs> and the turns, my friend. Sure. So uh, when I came out of my, my BA in, in Mexico, I started working at the finance ministry. Uh, it was it was interesting. Well, and it came out of a, a summer uh, internship that I had in, in Washington. And let me tell you the story. Um, my universities like opened these chances to me and my best friend, uh, Natalia. And uh, I was so envious because she was going to be working at the Mexican embassy in Washington. And I was uh, this, uh, like they sent me to the Inter-American Development Bank. I was so miserable, like a bank. Why, why, what am I doing at a bank? That'll be awful. I, I wanted to go to the embassy. You know, you, you keep complaining, right? And it turned out to be that the embassy was super boring. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was the first intern to be like to happen at that office. It was a, the, 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 the IDB is formed of like a, a staff and then the countries that own the bank and the board of directors are formed of those uh, countries' representatives. So I was working at the Mexico uh, office and they've never had an intern. So I was like the pet of the, <laughs> of the, of the team and they kept me like they, they took me to everything that they do. I, I remember that I went to a meeting with the, Nicaragua's president at the time. So it was like eye-opening to me, like all this international organizations world. And um, after that, one of the guys that was leading that office went to Mexico, to the international, to the finance ministry, and he invited me to work there. So again, like my first job came out of that uh, internship uh, opportunity, and um, uh, it it was an it, it was a very interesting job. Not not the job that I would wanted to do for the rest of my life, but I learned a lot in terms of being a public servant, and uh, I learned a lot in terms of having a purpose. I did uh, feel that I had a purpose being there and doing something for my country, surrounded by the most intelligent people that I've ever met before. So I think that that was really interesting for me. And in fact, Molly, I wanted to be a, a public servant. When I decided to go to the U.S. for my master's and study international relations, I wanted to be a, a public servant. I remember that uh, that was the time where uh, the West Wing, the show, remember, showed <laughs> And uh, I saw that, remember the, the character that Rob Lowe played? Yeah. He was the, the communications director in the White House. And I knew I wanted to be that, right? I wanted to, to be able to shape the communications that came out of, of, of the government. And, and that became a dream. And um, so afterwards, I went uh, to Boston and to Washington and... Um, 
And my second job happened when I went to, when I finished my first uh, master's in Boston, I, I wanted to go back to action. Like I wanted to work. And I was invited um, to, to fill a position in a, a public relations company, an agency in Washington, that was going to work on all that migration reform that Mexico was fu- pushing uh, with the U.S. That was the year 2001. So I moved to Washington. I decided that I wanted to do a second uh, master's uh, at night. And I was going to work at that. So I leased an apartment. I moved. And uh, two weeks after I was in Washington, uh, September 11 happened. So my job didn't happen, of course. Like the migration reform ended up being uh, something that was forgotten. It was not a priority for the U.S. anymore, of course. So I ended up in Washington with a one-year lease apartment. Uh, I already started the second program and I didn't have a job. So uh, my father, of course, being uh, things so so uh, weird in terms of what was happening in D.C., he wanted me to go back. Like he, he wanted just me to pack and go back to Mexico. And I decided that, no, I wanted to, to try and I loved D.C. and I stayed there. So um, I, I worked for a few months in the in the Mexican embassy. I always say that I didn't want to work there, but it was a, a very good opportunity. And then I, I met someone at the street uh, that I worked prior uh, in my my um, in my um, finance ministry experience that I worked with from the IDB. And he invited me for, for a job. And then I stayed for three years in Washington. And I think that it was a great experience in terms of what I've learned from international institutions, from my, what I learned from being part of a board. We worked for the board. So I was able to learn decision-making, negotiation in a very practical way. But that was not what I wanted to do. And, uh, and, and, and here comes the, 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 the slip, if I may say. Uh, I was invited to try for a job in Pemex in, in communications. So I went back. I decided that I did want to go back to Mexico and give back and go back to the Mexican government. I always felt really passionate about being a public servant. And when I went back to, Mex- to, to Pemex, I really did not fit in. You were asking before about not fitting in. Well, that was a place that I didn't fit. It was two years and uh, I saw things happening around like that I, I was not okay with. Uh, with my boss, for example, when we had difficult conversations or something, we were discussing something delicate. We had to go downstairs. There was like a park underneath the, the building. We wouldn't talk in our offices because he thought they were bucked. <laughs> I don't know if it was real or not, <laughs> but I, that, that's what not the, the, like the, the environment that I wanted to work with. And, you know, Pemex um, filled with horrible stories, corruption and things that I didn't want to be part of. So I, I, I was there for a few uh, months and then, well, not months. I stayed there for around two years. But then when I saw a chance to, to flee, I did. So that was kind of, I learned a lot. It was, I think that it's what, uh, an important part of my carry. But I understood that I was not going to be happy 
being a public servant as I planned. So I had to like shuffle my plans, shuffle my career. And I decided that I could be influential and be uh, that Rob Lowe character <laughs> from <laughs> somewhere else, right? So uh, I thought that uh, it was a good way to do it from the private sector, from the agency world. And I'm still there. And uh, I found in the agency world, uh, I think that the, the best world that I can fit in, you have to wear many hats at a time. You have to become kind of an expert in so many issues and so many things that it keeps me really uh, curious and learning every day. So I found maybe the, the, the place where I fit it best uh, by understanding that my plans uh were not like true anymore or i wasn't true to my or i didn't fit in my plans anymore the mexican government changed a lot and um it's changing even more so i found a new a, a new place to be in the agency world and i've really enjoyed it oh, that's so fantastic <laughs> so let's let's uh integrate personal life how did you meet miguel talk about uh, <laughs> family uh, I love that story. Um, so when I went to my private sector job in the agency, everyone in Mexico, when I went back, like my friends, my 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 usual friends, my my aged friends, were uh, already having children, and they had like two or three children, and weekends were spent with their in-laws and and in children's parties and so on. So when I came back to Mexico, I felt really out of uh, like uh, of the loop with with my usual friends, right? So I had to build new relationships with uh, friends that were living kind of the same rhythm at, at work that I was. And I worked really hard. I think that for those 10 years that I worked in, in my previous job, I really focused on learning, on, on working, on, on being influential on, on what I was doing. On having fun as well. I've always worked hard and played hard. I traveled a lot and um, I was having a good time. But I, in, like, I could see that I was falling behind in terms of the expectations family-wise in Mexico. Uh, my brother, uh, for example, he got married and he was already like having children. So it was really weird in, in Mexico. And for my family, that was so open and so... Uh, intentional in letting me be who I am, I did get this, like, uh, you know, they were, <laughs> they wouldn't say it. My, my parents wouldn't say it at all. Like, they were very careful. But I could see that I was, like, falling behind. And they would have been so happy if I would have married before and having children before. That was, that's like the norm in Mexico. And I was 36 years old. And I wasn't like at all getting married, married or having a serious relationship. And, uh, and I was not looking. I think that when I stopped looking for it and I was comfortable with the life I had, then um, one day I was at work and my father called. No, my brother called, I remember. And he said, um, Isidoro's friend will call you. Isidoro is one of my father's uh, friends. He was his lawyer and his friend. And um, 
he's Jew. And, you know, that's part of their culture. They, they mix people. They, they sit people together so they can mix and match, right? So, and I was so angry. Like, get to work. Stop talking about me. I'm happy with uh, my life. Don't meddle, right? I was so angry. And this guy kept calling. And, like, the fourth time that he called, I felt really bad with my father's uh, friend. So I went. I remember, you'll laugh about this, Molly, but I love telenovelas. (laughs) It's a good way, like, to get out of thinking. So I I wanted to see my telenovela. But uh, this was a time that they aired at a certain time. I know this sounds old. But so I said, okay, yes, I'll go uh, for dinner with him at 8 so I can be back and see the rerun of the telenovela at 11, right? Of course, I met him and I stayed until really late. I didn't watch the novella, by the way. And uh, one year later, I got married with this guy. <laughs> so it was a <laughs> blind date. Uh, uh, very weird. And I think that the wonderful thing is that we are so, so different. Miguel is part of a very different world. Nothing to do with communications or with the government or what like me and my friends studied he has a a a beauty products company and um, he's 10 years older than I am and uh, I think that he was very happy to find a woman that he wouldn't have to um, take care of to 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 say so or 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 that wouldn't depend on him because he in in his life he had to take care of so many people before, and uh, I think that that was exactly what I was looking for. I didn't want a, a dependency uh, relationship, but a but a partnership, a loving partnership. So I think that we matched really fast, and after one year we had Miguel, our first boy, and uh, I think that we are a very uh, we always say that we are pareja pareja. <laughs> it means that you are a very uh, like balanced couple and we help each other a lot and we love each other a lot and we respect each other a lot. And I have to say that um, he's my best cheerleader. Like if I am able to go for two weeks and, and travel for my work or stay late or do all those things that having a, a successful career uh, entail, it's because Miguel is really uh he doesn't get get scared about that. Like many men in Mexico are uh, intimidated by a, um, like a strong woman. And Miguel like laughs about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's like the best thing that happened to me in these terms. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Talk about being a parent. You know, here you are, ultra competent uh, leader, you know, master of your domain, and, and you have kids and what you learned about yourself and having the boys. Uh, the most challenging thing that I, <laughs> that I face. Um, I think that it's all about love. That's what I always try to do and to replicate a little bit what I got from, like, from my house in terms of being free and letting us be ourselves. But now that I'm a parent, I know that that is easily said than done. <laughs> So <laughs> um, um, I have a very easy one and a more complicated one that challenges me every day. <laughs> so <laughs> those things that I am very good at and my work, 
then I feel so dumb at home <laughs> and that I really need to read more and, and, and get help because uh, Daniel is my, my second one. He's so smart and so defiant in, in, in so many ways. He is curious. He keeps questioning things. So um, I do need to be better in terms of, of getting ready for that. Because uh, he's only eight. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! So, imagine that, right? So, but I, I, as as with any other thing in life, Molly, I think that you have to be you. Follow your instincts. I I tend to follow my instincts a lot, and uh, and follow your values. I think that um, that that's really important to to show them. I, I decided, by the way, not to not to give them a religion and and uh, and and to to um, like nurture them into a religion so they could choose. But I I am very intentional in terms of uh, the values that I, that I that I want them to to adopt in terms of being kind to others, being kind to themselves, uh, being respectful to themselves and to others. Um, and, and, and working hard, again, I think that, that that thing that I saw at home, I want to, to replicate. And, and uh, uh, I think that that's one of the balances that is really difficult as a parent to give them all and like put everything in the road for them to work with and choose. And on the other side, not putting everything for them on a plate. So they have to work for that, right? So it's it's been fun. The only thing that I can say that it's been um, challenging. It's challenging every day, and it's it's fun. I I that's what I try to do to have fun with them. It's, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I have to meet them sometime. So oh, you know, I, I'll make sure that happens. Molly. Yeah, I would love it. <laughs> you know, I I would be remiss since you are such a phenomenal communicator, and this the space that you're in with Edelman, just, you know, some thoughts on for folks, just in communications, things that you mm-hmm. think are key in terms of success and maybe just a few pitfalls, just a little bit of communication advice, because it's obviously something that we're all, you know, we all are focusing on every day and in every interaction. <laughs> okay. I'm going to repeat what I say to my team every, every day. I am very stubborn with this. Uh, it's, it, a good communicator is that that is simple. I think that when we want to be like very elegant in our language and, and uh, explain things in a very thorough way, we usually end up being complex and complex is the enemy of good communicators. Let's try to be simple to the point, short and a few messages. Uh, that, that is the most important recommendation that I always give to, to my people. If you're going to, fight with your husband or you're going to go for a conversation on a new salary, a raise, if you're going to teach a class, two or three messages. If you talk about so many things, you you get lost, right? So simplicity at the center of everything. And the other thing in order to be a good communicator is to be a very good observer and a very good listener. I think that that makes the difference for everything. 
when you like, we train a lot of people on media trainings, for example. And when you study a lot and you get to like remember and memorize your messaging, that becomes unnatural. And uh, natural communications is the one that comes across more uh, authentic and then more powerful. And on the other side, uh, everything should be a conversation. When you think about an interview or if you even think about a story, think about it as a conversation. And a conversation has two ways. You have to listen and then you have to talk back. And sometimes we don't do that. We just talk, 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 instead of listen, listen, listen. And good communicators do more listening than talking, I would say. It's not what I've done today, right? But <laughs> <laughs> well, that I put you on the spot, so you didn't really have a choice to listen much. I would give yeah. you that. I can vouch for your listening skills for sure. I love that. You know, since we're on this topic, why don't we segue to the say it skillfully part of the show, Mariana? Is there a tough conversation you're wrestling with now, or perhaps something in the past that didn't go so well that you, if you had a chance, you'd want to do over, and we could talk it through for listeners? Um. I'm going to be very, very honest here, uh, Molly. Every time that I get very angry at work, not, not angry, not angry when like something went wrong with my team. No, that, that is just like past angry. No, really hurts and uh, makes me frustrated. I cry. I have to say it. <laughs> and uh, that makes those tough conversations for me really complicated because I end up uh, showing myself myself sometimes as being weak. Uh, and, And that makes me more frustrated and then I cry more. So every time that I've had to have this conversation with my, my bosses in terms of like not liking something or wanted to, to, to change things that were not easy, I cry, and, and that makes things very complicated for me. Um, and it's not crying. Like, I usually cry with my team. I've cried lately in town halls with 500 people, and I cry because someone's leaving or because someone, like, really made me afraid of that. And I, I proudly cry, by the way. <laughs> but, uh, but when I'm angry and it, it makes me frustrated, and I cry and I cannot talk, like I can't speak, that makes those conversations even more complicated. So I re- that's something that I really have to work on, on myself, like controlling that uh, anger or frustration that becomes tears. And uh, it, it's something that I really have to work on. It's not like a specific conversation that you've asked for, but... Um, it's every time that I have to have those difficult conversations, I end up crying. <laughs> so it's horrible. Oh, I hear you. And I really appreciate you sharing that. And it shows me just how all in you are, right? Because it means so much to you, right? That every ounce of your soul is vested in it. And I think on the one hand, that's such a virtue because it just that you're so compelling because you know how much you care. And it can be a vice if it, if it is the emotions kind of getting the better yeah. of you, right? So yeah. I appreciate that. What have you tried that has been helpful, if at all? I'm curious how you've tried <laughs> working with this. Um, 
breathing, breathing and getting prepared. I know that it'll happen, you know. Uh, when I've lately had a, 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 a complicated issue at work and it's not, um, not with my bosses, but with some peers that I, that I struggle a little bit. And I know that if I get super angry, I'll cry. So it's like, you know, that it's happening. So you have to be very conscient, conscious about it, not to happen. So I breathe a lot. And to be honest, Molly, uh, online work, uh, or, or an online works for that. It helps. You can mute yourself. <laughs> you can turn off your camera. <laughs> so like to be very practical when I have to have those conversations, uh, I do work with that. I think that technology can help us with that. So you can just like sneeze and blow your nose and, and then be back in two seconds without mute. Right. Yes. Yes. Use so, the technology. Yeah, Maybe exactly. not how people thought would be intended, but that's great. So I'll just mm-hmm. offer one thing and asking yourself, and I love how you're intentional and you, you know it's coming. But when you think about when I get angry, asking yourself, like, why exactly am I angry? Yeah, I know. I know. And I, the, the frustrating thing is that I know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> and, that and it makes it even more difficult, right? Because it, it's me. I think that when, when that happens, it's because it touches things in me that I know I have to fix, right? In terms of, I don't know, my, my role at the leadership level, my, my, uh, the, the role that I'm playing and, and the role that maybe uh, my team can play with, with certain things. So it, it's about me. And I think that when, when you have to work with you is the most challenging thing. So, yeah, that's on my list, Molly, <laughs> to yes. keep working well, I, with. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And that really is the crux of it, folks, is just being in good relationship with ourselves. Uh, Mariana, showing herself the compassion, right? And, you know, there is a bit of a mental gymnastics and to keep it to the point where you can control and saying, look, I can, you can certainly get angry. It's your cho- choice. You can do it. Or you can say, look, at, is the anger going to, do I really want to let the anger win? Can I keep the Mm -hmm. breathing right and, and keep it in check? So look, I'm I'm cheering for you and anything I can do to be helpful (laughs) on that front, you let me know. Oh my gosh, time is flying. So let us wrap a little, because I would love to um, just, just kind of do a little reflection. You've done a lot. Do you have a single proudest accomplishment thus far, Mariana? I, I think that the way I feel now, Molly, and, and I know that it may not last forever, but the way I feel now in terms of being able to have this wonderful job at a wonderful company, Edelman has been so... Um, it's such a wonderful place in terms of giving all these opportunities to women and to, to our very diverse uh, workforce. And um, the openness that they, they are very entrepreneurial, right? So when I came to Edelman, they just like put Mexico in my hands, now Latam in my hands, like go do, go do your best. So like the freedom that comes with that is really um, exciting and uh, it, it's I have fun at my at, at my job I really enjoy my, my work the team that I've built and having the pleasure of doing something that you love at the same time 
that I've been able to build this family with love and taking care of them and paying attention, uh, it's something that I really cherish. I don't know if, if it's some, like, I don't know if you can have everything all the time, but now I feel that I have uh, this moment in my life that I'm really enjoying. So <laughs> I feel like happy for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy for you too. I have the biggest smile. Uh, Mariana, what do you want for Miguel and Daniel? Um, to be them. I think that I want them to be them and to be good, decent human beings. <laughs> um, when, uh, let me tell you the story. When, when Trump won, I, I just arrived to my office when Hillary delivered that uh, concession speed, a speech and I cried with my team. Again, see, I'm a crier. So, and I saw that like the, the very young crowd didn't understand why I was so like touched. I don't live in the U.S. Like why would I was, why would I was so affected by it? And I think that the, what happened to me is that I felt that decency was not valued anymore. Right. I was like, how come this guy? is now the leader of the free world. world. It, it was, and it comes to that. I think that being a decent human being, being kind to others, being, uh, being good, that's what I want for my kids, to be happy and to be good human beings. Wonderful. You know, we've talked about a lot and you've gone down a little bit of memory lane. Is there a top takeaway from our chat? Um. You know what, Molly, I think that in, in order for all of this to happen, there's one thing that I've been very good at. And I think that uh, it's, it's something that I always tell uh, women that when they ask, like, how have you done all this? It's you have to be where you are. You have to be present wherever you are. If I'm at home, I'm at home. If I'm with Miguel like traveling and having uh, uh, lunch. I'm, I'm traveling and having lunch. I'm not at work. I'm not with the kids. So I try to be where I am. If I am at the office, I like, unless something's burning, I'm not paying attention. I'm at work. And again, when I'm with my mom, I'm with my mom, right? And I think that when you're able to do that and to be where you are and concentrate not only your mind, but your feelings and your, um, your perceptions and your awareness on wherever you are, you are more um, like intense or intentional. And then you get out, um, you get more out of things, right? Yeah. From your relationships, from your work and so on. So, and I think that that's very difficult right now. We're always holding a, a phone on our hands and chatting here. Uh, I, I may be chatting to you and then chatting to my friend in Colombia. And that's, I don't think that that's smart. That's something that we have to control a little bit in yeah. order to be, to be happier, by the way. Yes, I'm with you 100%. Okay, my friend. One or two words. What was it like for you to share your journey with us today? I, I love talking to you, Molly. <laughs> you know, when that, when 
it's it's rare, but it's great when you find that pe- uh, like those people that you can connect in two seconds and you feel that there's been like a long relationship there. And uh, so sharing about me is not something that I uh, do a lot. And I don't know why am I doing it with you on a public space <laughs> so openly, but <laughs> you, you, you invite to that, Molly. <laughs> oh, thank you for going there, Mariana. I love your calm confidence. It's helped you achieve what you have. And you have this a wonderful humility and curiosity to keep learning. I really appreciate the role model you are and how you connect and how you lead people to help them be their best and work together to do their best work. We need more of uh, you, your cross-cultural communications finesse for sure. So I want to Thank you for being part of the solution, helping all of us to be safe, seen, and heard in our very true and best selves. You are uh, a real inspiration to me, and I thank you for joining me. You take good care. Thank you, Molly. Thank you for the opportunity. Happy to be here with you. Ah, Such a joy. (laughs) Okay, folks, my thought for the week. Thank you, Mariana. Be present. Be where you are. And that is a wrap. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you. Be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Amplify Mariana's voice. Reflect on your own top takeaways and know I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Homelessness is a problem that's more costly to ignore than solve. The U.S. spends $12 billion a year responding, but resources alone aren't enough. I'd like you to know there are cities and counties proving what does work. Partnering with Community Solutions, a nonprofit I'm on the board of, more than 80 communities around the country are succeeding in ending homelessness, beginning with chronic and veteran homelessness. They convene local leaders around data and are changing how they work and spend their resources. So homelessness becomes rare. More than half have already reduced the number of people experiencing chronic and veteran homelessness with commitment to get to zero. What can you do? Visit www.built40.org and see whether your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please, challenge the fiction that says homelessness is an intractable problem. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out sayitskillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too.